Hey everybody, welcome to the AC Podcast. This is Steve and I'm here with Andy. I'm just gonna jump straight into the topic today. The last couple of days, I've been seeing this video clip go around of Jordan Peterson. Now, if you happen to not know who he is, although I think many of us know who he is, he is a professor of psychology from the University of Toronto who a number of years ago made headlines because of his political stance on gender pronouns and so forth. Uh, Since then, his career has taken a turn and he's been doing a lot of speaking, writing, those kinds of things, and he's got his own podcast now. Um, And a lot of Christians really like him because even though he's an agnostic, he is very tender towards Christianity and towards the person of Jesus. And I think that is on full display, I think, in this video clip that we're going to listen to in just a moment. But just to give you a bit of context here, on uh, his podcast, Jordan Peterson invites this Eastern Orthodox iconographer by the name of Jonathan Peugeot, and they are talking about symbols and those kinds of things. And as he's talking about Christ, he really starts to choke up, right? And so let's listen to that. Just to help you ease into this dialogue here, Jordan Peterson starts by talking about our conscience and how the narrative world and the objective world meet. Here's the clip. And I know that there's a strong line of Christian thinking that's identified the conscience with divinity, sometimes with Christ inside, sometimes with the Holy Spirit. And those are very interesting conceptualizations, but you can think of them psychologically, and you can even think about them biologically, you know, to some degree, because we're so social. If we don't manifest an appropriate moral reciprocity, we're going to become alienated from our fellows, and we won't survive, and we'll suffer and die, and we won't we certainly won't find a partner and, and have children successfully. And so, to some degree, the conscience can be viewed as the voice of reciprocal society within. And that's a perfectly reasonable biological explanation. But, but the thing is, is the deeper you go into biology, the more it shades into something that appears to be religious, because you start analyzing the fundamental structure of the psyche itself. And... And it becomes something, well, it becomes something with a a power that transcends your ability to resist it. Hmm. So, okay, so you can think about Christ from a psychological perspective, and the, the the critic, my critic, this particular critic that I've been reading, said, well, that that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods. And of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. Joseph Campbell did that, and Jung to a lesser degree, I would say, but Campbell did that. But the difference, and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well, the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's there's a representation of there's a historical representation of his of of his existence as well. Now you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this well it does, but 
there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth. And in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't know. I don't, I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't (laughs) understand it. Like, because I've seen... Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch, you know, that's Jungian synchronicity. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real, like we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world, but the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to, and that seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. Well, but I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. Well, there it is. Uh, it all it brought me to tears watching him talk about Christ in that way. What was your reaction watching all of this, Andy? As I watched farther into the video, I thought it was interesting that Jordan Peterson talks about how his wife has been going through cancer, if I understand correctly, and mm. and they are clearly, you know, walking through that together. His wife has uh, from what he indicated has really come more religious in his his kind of you know wording there and so i i think that they're clearly walking in a tender moment you know to use the words that that you use steve where they're wrestling through uh their mortality and thinking about you know what what this life is all about and so it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me as i'm watching him because he's thinking through faith, both intellectually and at a heart level or emotional level. You can see that he's wrestling through those two things. And it, and it's interesting because, Steve, you were saying Jordan Peterson is agnostic. But in the video, he actually uh, identifies with Christianity Uh and I think it'll be important for us to get to that. We'll, it will come to it. So I, mm-hmm. that'll, that'll be like the little hook to just stay with us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see where he kind of circles back on that. But uh, what about you, Steve? Uh, what was going through your mind as you're watching? Well, uh, like I mentioned earlier, we had the, um, the literary expedition event where we went through C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man um, and some unpublished papers by Polanyi and whatnot. And, you know, in reading The Abolition of Man, obviously, you know, like I am reminded of a lot of other writings by C.S. Lewis, and I'm reminded of that story that C.S. Lewis tells. The night that was really significant for him was that night when he was walking with J.R.R. Tolkien, Tolkien, the writer of The Lord of the Rings. And they were part of the same club called the Inklings. And so they, they were pretty close friends. At this point, C.S. Lewis was not a believer. 
And he was struggling with this idea of, okay, you know, like myth is not real. But what Tolkien pointed out was, no, like Christ is myth come true, right? And that for C.S. Lewis was a really significant moment because what he noticed was, as you can see with clearly with what Jordan Peters is going through, you see a lot of these myths and legends, those kinds of things. See, Jordan Peterson wouldn't discount that because as a psychologist, he's interested in what is the existential nature of human beings and and whatnot. And when C.S. Lewis says Christ's myth became fact, what he's saying is Christ fulfills all of the longings that are shown through these myths, right? So it's not just some foreign force that just intrudes into our lives. He is the fulfillment very fulfillment of all of our longings. And I think that's what Jordan Peterson is experiencing here. And I think that's why he is so tender right now towards Christ. I think that this is an important moment, actually, that's happening in culture at large, though, Steve. Mm -hmm. Because now Jordan Peterson is talking about the objective world. And when he's, when he's talking about that, you know, that's the world of facts, Okay, mm -hmm. and then and then he talks about the moral world. That's the world of value, and so it's this kind of world of by facts too. I mean, to be very specific, within a secular society, we're talking about the physical stuff of the universe, and that's where he's saying that gets unique when the the story, if you will, which he equates with say morality, touches. With the physical, and you can't deny this as he as he goes into and and will continue to develop in the show. I'm bearing witness to this, and and I I can't deny that 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 is a reality. But then there's there's implications to this that really, as he's talking about, draws you in. It's like it's in in his words, it's uh, it's. It's something that he he can't resist, as 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 he's being drawn deeper into this this story, uh, if you will. And and Steve, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that I see this happening in a in a secular culture that has been taught for so long at just an extreme level that morality doesn't exist, that there's no meaning or purpose. Yet you you see you know culture in these different pockets. And, and I think Jordan Peterson's one of those, and I've seen it elsewhere, and, and we'll bring that up in a moment, where people are starting to push against that going, I don't believe that narrative. I, I, I believe that there is something much more going on here. And like he's saying, I see those moments where they touch, and I can't deny that. Yeah. And that's the really significant part, right? When you look at a human being, what I really appreciate about the way Jordan Peterson hashed it out is, yeah, you think about conscience and you can think of it in purely sociobiological terms, that it's it's a moral reciprocity, right? So in other words, if you just go off doing whatever you want to whomever you want, you know, you're not going to be very acceptable in society and you're not going to be able to propagate your DNA, those kinds of things. Uh, and that would be the sort of that that kind of explanation would belong to the world of quote unquote cold hard facts. But what we notice 
here is that it actually strips morality of everything that is important about it, right? The, the world of duty, the ought, is just simply reduced down to pragmatics. It, it helps you survive if you have this moral reciprocity. Uh, but there is no sense of you're doing something good or evil as we usually understand those terms. It's just all reduced down to it's whatever is beneficial and not beneficial. But what we're recognizing is our world doesn't work like that. There is that moral nature that we have, that we have for so long relegated to the private. You don't bring it out to, and you deny it in public, basically, in many ways. But what people are recognizing, I think, is, no, this is part of who I am. This is, this is part of my nature, and I can't live in denial of that any more than I can live apart from other people during this COVID pandemic, right? Because we're, we're seeing that this is part of our nature. I think it's something similar. It's like somebody coming to you and giving you a science textbook and and tell, and and maybe they give you a novel uh, at the same time. Maybe it's Les Mis or something like that, right? And they're like, you know, the reality is just the science book, you know, but yet you're reading these other stories. You're reading these other narratives of the world, uh, whether that be you know, with regards to meaning and morality and value, and and yet you're supposed to just believe the science textbook, and and what you see with somebody like Jordan Peterson is he's saying, no, 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 no. Uh, I, yes, I've read the science textbook, but all these other things, meaning, morality, right, value, I see those touching this worldview, and yeah. I can't deny that they are actually there now. Let me just develop this a little bit more because in my in my doctoral work, I saw this in Michael Polanyi. So that's mm -hmm. why when Steve said today that he wanted to talk on this, I was like, I'm 100% interested in talking on this because I've been reading Polanyi, who's very similar to Jordan Peterson. Polanyi comes to faith, you know, from this secular perspective where he's being taught this objective worldview that, you know, it's just this very mechanical, physical uh, view of the universe going, no, I, I see that there is so much more going on here, and it, and it draws him to the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. And and in it, he, you know, he makes an interesting statement that I want to read for our listeners, and then I want to unpack this. This really gets at the heart of what we're talking about here. Polanyi writes this in his book, Personal Knowledge. He writes, Christian worship sustains, as it were, an eternal, never-to-be-consummated hunch, a heuristic vision which is accepted for the sake of its unreasonable tension. It is like an obsession with the problem known to be insolvable, which yet follows against reason unswervingly the heuristic command, look at the unknown. Christianity sedulously fosters and in a sense permanently satisfies man's craving for mental dissatisfaction by offering him the comfort of a crucified God. Now, I know that's there's a lot going on there, and I had to read that many, many times and a lot of Polanyi's writing to finally understand what he's getting at. But as you look at his work, this just becomes very, very clear of what, what he's saying. And this is, and just to put it very simply, here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, and by the way, Polanyi comes as a scientist. So he he comes into all of this from the scientific worldview. Then it leads him into philosophy, though, because he realizes that people are buying into scientism. They, they think that science can answer all of life's questions. And he's like, clearly, it cannot. And, and it's interesting because like C.S. Lewis, like Jordan Peterson— and many, many others, and we talked about this in the literary expedition, Polanyi comes to Christ through what? Morality. It, it is, in particularly for him, living through World War II. But just to make it very clear, here's what he says. He says, when you're a scientist and you discover something in science, which, which he did, he was a profound physical chemist uh, and, 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 and made a number of important discoveries, was elected to the uh, Royal Society. When you're in, so he's saying, when you're a scientist and you make these discoveries, it's kind of like worship, he says, where you make a discovery and it satisfies you for a little bit and you're in awe for a little bit, right? And and we've all seen those moments where you'll read some article of some scientific, you know, discovery and you're kind of like, you have this wow moment, but he's like, but that moment doesn't last very long. So there's science. But then he says, uh, there's art, and like, Steve, I don't know if you've ever been to a museum. I mean, two years ago, I took my kids to the Louvre or Louvre and, and you know, we're, we're walking through there and it's just packed with art and you have these moments of awe that just, where you, where you just, you know, stop dead in your tracks and you just, I remember particularly there's this one painting that just captivated me and I, and I, and I had trouble like pulling myself away from this, from this painting and, and, and then, but eventually his point is though, eventually you will. Science will keep your awe for a little while. Art will keep your, keep you in awe for longer. He would say, it's going to keep you in awe for longer and you could come back to it, but eventually you'll exhaust it. But this is where he says, science, art ultimately doesn't compare to religion and particularly what you find in Christianity because Christianity is offering you something that is truly marvelous. And this is what I see Peterson getting at when he talks about Christianity and this idea of myth and fact coming together that ultimately, and in, the, and in their podcast, they talk about this, that ultimately leads you to worship. It ultimately leads you to celebration. I don't know if you remember this, they talk about in there about hockey, for example, and that, that, that it leads you to celebrate the ethic of what's, what's taking place, uh, whether it be in, in somebody playing a sport really well, or it can be in life. And this is what Christianity offers you in the crucifixion. In other words, as Polanyi's getting at, that will ne- you will never satisfy that. You, you, that will constantly, unlike science, unlike art, that will continue to bring you back in awe, in in amazement, that leads you into deeper celebration, to lead you into deeper worship. So I, I love that, that Christianity offers you the comfort of a crucified God. And you see this in that, in that interview with Peterson, where he's really dwelling on that, and it's uh, impacting him deeply. Yeah. And this kind of, in a sense, puts on display the inadequacy of a purely mechanical scientific worldview, right? Because it strips you of things that we cherish, like meaning, purpose, morality, those kinds of things. And I remember our most recent 
literary expedition, uh, we read Leslie Allen Paul's book, The Annihilation of Man, which, along with The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis, really impacted Michael Polanyi. And at the end of his book, Paul says, well, what principle am I going to live by? Uh, well, I, I want to live on the principle of freedom, equality, brotherhood, service, and love. And then it says, but what creed can basically serve as a foundation for all of these things? And he doesn't think that, uh, you know, just natural sciences alone can do this. And it's like the, the only creed that I know of that can actually serve as a foundation for this is Christianity. It's interesting you bring that up because in the podcast, uh, Peterson brings up Sam Harris in a dialogue that he had had with Sam Harris in which he really calls Sam Harris out saying, you you think you can live in just this objective world. but And it's interesting because Leslie Paul in his book, The Annihilation of Man, but Leslie Paul argues it, it doesn't work like that. Science is is built on a foundation of value mm -hmm. that you think doing science and doing science ethically is the correct value, but you're not getting that ethic from the science. Again, that's that moment where the outside narrative, right, is yeah. is touching down and, and you're realizing that you're interacting with a much larger worldview. And ultimately, Peterson calls out Sam Harris for just being dishonest. Like, yeah. That, that science wow. actually doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's interesting because when we talk about science, we often talk about how there are certain things that science can't explain because it presupposes these things to start with, like uh, logical and mathematical truths. These are presupposed by science. You need those before you even do science, those kinds of things. But what people don't often take into account is ethics, morality. You actually have to presuppose that in order to do science because uh, as Leslie Paul pointed out, there is this idea of truth, right? That you're pursuing truth for truth's sake, right? In other words, truth has a moral value, right? Just not, It's not just pragmatic sort of a thing. It, it's not just beneficial. Pursuing truth for truth's sake, is a good thing. And scientists recognize that, right? And so, again, here is a, an instance where you are taking an ethical stance even before you start doing science. And I shared the story of this one South Korean researcher, geneticist, who claimed to have made this breakthrough that would, you know, cure all kinds of diseases. But later, it was discovered that he had fudged his test results. And so he was dishonorably uh, let go from his institution. Why? Because we understand that as a scientist, you ought not to fudge your test results. Again, here's another example of you having to assume ethics before you do science. That's such a such a good point. I want to develop this uh, more because this is an important aspect for Peterson, and I think though this is an important moment just for us as a culture because Peterson asked an important question that I think not enough people, particularly Christians, uh, ask themselves, and that and that is 
what would happen if I actually live as though this is true? Mm. This is this is a this is something that that Peterson talks about as a moral weight that kind of crushes you where you begin to realize that this actually asks a lot of you. It, it, it's kind of interesting, by the way, because I was um, talking with a, a young adult recently about becoming a Christian. They were they were talking to me about faith and they thinking about putting their faith their trust in Jesus. And but one of the things that that, that was that they were wrestling with and they were being honest, like Peterson, which I appreciate his honesty, but but he's being honest and just saying, I know that this is going to cost something of me, right? If following Jesus isn't just lip service, this is going to, this is going to change the way I live. I wonder how many Christians though realize that this, this is going to cost something of you. This changes the way that you live. And so Peterson ultimately calls out the Catholic church and saying, how do you, priest or whoever, how do you claim that the Son of God came to earth, lived and died for you, and yet you have gone on to molest children or do all these sorts of things? How can you do those things and actually believe? And isn't this what a lot of evangelicals are wrestling with right now with regards to, say, Ravi? And we've had this with other celebrity pastors as well, or or preachers, right? That fell fall morally, and you're just going, I don't I don't understand, right? So I think I think that's a really good point because what I see in Jordan Peterson in this clip is that he appreciates the weight of the Christian worldview better than most Christians, especially with this whole discussion around you know, COVID lockdown and, and all that kind of stuff, a lot of Christians are interested more about the political ramification of it. Well, Steve, Steve, you're saying we want society to change, but the gospel's calling you to change. Yeah. And I think there is a sense in which, yes, as you are changed, you know what? You are going to impact the society around you, and the society, in theory, ought to change as you live in it, right? As the church. Right now, with everything going on with COVID and everything, I think a lot of Christians are more uh, preoccupied by politics than the weight of the Christian worldview that, that we should constantly be feeling. That's one of the most frustrating things for me as a Christian and as a minister is this sort of familiarity breeding contempt, right? It's almost like you just start taking it for granted. And every now and then my eyes open when somebody who is not a believer comes to know Jesus for the first time and just the way the look in their eyes change, right? Like it's it's like, there is this wonder, there is this awe. I was like, they have just discovered, for example, that Narnia is real. You know, it's almost like that. You, know, you remember the story of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and when the children discover Narnia, it's like their world has just expanded so greatly. And it's, it, I see that same wonder in people who become a Christian for the first time. 
And I look at myself and I go, man, I've been taking this for granted for so long. No, I, I agree with you, Stephen. I, I see that in Peterson. I really do. You can see he he has the look and the demeanor that I had when I was coming to faith. It, it, mm-hmm. it, was, it was breaking me down. And it's interesting because there's something that he says that was something that, that I really thought and prayed a lot about when I came to faith. He says, there is no limit if you act if, as if God exists. In, in other words, if you actually live as though this is true, this is going to dramatically change your life and the kind of person that you are. And, and I remember thinking that because I, I had this moment when I came to place my trust in Jesus where I was just thinking through this 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 idea in my mind, because I'd always, I told you this before, Steve, I've always believed God existed. Uh, the question for me was just whether or not I wanted to to know this God and whether or not I was going to act on this belief. Cause mm-hmm. I, I, and, I, and I can't really explain all that, because I mean, it's weird, because I thought life was meaningless, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I guess it was just a very deistic view of God, that God was there, but he's far removed, didn't really have anything to do with us. Because like I've said before, I mean, the first person I, I confided in was my weightlifting coach teacher asking him what the meaning of life is, right? Because I'm thinking if there's anybody who <laughs> who must have it figured out, surely it's this guy. It's kind of like weightlifting's kind of like the myth of Sisyphus incarnate, right? You you just <laughs> instead of rolling a stone up a hill, you're just lifting weights over and over again. And this guy was a monster, so I'm thinking he must have got he's got this figured out. But then when I asked him, you know what the meaning of life is, he just told me to go bench some, he's like, Steiger, get back on the bench, right? Go lift some more weight. And I'm like, hmm, that's not the answer I was looking for. Uh, but when, when, so I had this idea, well, if God exists, why don't I live as though that's true? And beginning to realize that, yeah, that's going to cost something of me, but it's also going to provide something for me, specifically meaning, purpose, value, things that I had lost sight of and was drowning in the weight of of that. So, so Steve, wouldn't you say then that there's a weight that does come in following God, but there's also a burden that's being taken from you as well? Mm-hmm. That that reminds me of actually of Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, that Peterson actually even brings up. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is And And my hope and prayer is that Jordan Peterson would look at that and and see that this should allay his terror of coming to know Jesus somewhat, right? Because yes, it is a frightening thing to encounter God incarnate, right? But at the same time, Jesus comes to us humble to serve, right? Isn't that really a crazy thought? Because you look at Isaiah, for example, when he encountered this, this vision of God, right? seated on his throne and the angels are flying around singing, holy, holy, holy. And immediately he's like, I'm screwed. Right. Like he's, he breaks down. I'm undone. Yeah. (laughs) I'm of course, modernizing, paraphrasing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm undone. I'm screwed because he realizes compared to the, the holiness and the purity of God. Like he's like, I'm, I'm filthy. 
I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I'm just this is just I'm I'm undone. Well, don't you love the way Jesus interacts with the disciples when he first meets them? Just the simplicity of the call. And it's the same call that we've all received. Follow me. Follow me. Yeah. And ultimately, it's it's the call of a teacher to a student. Come and learn from me how to live. And, and I think that this is something that Peterson and others have to wrestle with, and that is that you do suck. <laughs> Listen, a teacher, a teacher doesn't call a student unless they believe the student has something to learn, and the student doesn't follow a teacher unless they think they have something to learn, right, from that teacher. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the reality, that you and I don't think that we can bear the moral weight of what it actually looks like to follow after God, committed fully, Right. But we're learning to follow Jesus into that call and and asking him, you know, Jesus, teach me. Teach me what it looks like to follow you. Teach me when I've made mistakes and I need to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Teach me in those moments where I need to start over again as I continue to follow you. Because I think Peterson, though, is, is bringing up an important juxtaposition that's taking place. On the one hand, you have this gentle Jesus, right, who's saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, right? I'm going to teach you. But yet it's also the same Jesus that's calling you to also not just take up your yoke, but also to take up your cross and to follow after me that this is going to cost something of you, that that this is going to have challenges. And I think, you know, that cross can look like different things. For the Apostle Paul, Jesus made it pretty clear this cross is going to cost you your life. Uh, Peter as well. This is going to cost you your life. There are some people that that's, that's the weight that they're called into. However, Paul then explains, though, and I love this in Philippians chapter 2, that in, call, in taking up our cross, the weight we've all been called into is to crucify our selfish ambition and our vain conceit. To, to crucify, you know, that broken part of us that wants to dominate, that wants to use, that wants to hurt, right? That, that again, that morality aspect where it's like, no, like, listen, if you're actually going to follow Jesus, if you're actually going to be his disciple, yeah, there's so, there is a, a, a lightness to that burden as you enter into the story of meaning and purpose and value as, as the objective, uh, right, is touched by the narrative, Right, it, it, that, that is, there is a lightness to that that calls you into it, but yet at the same time, it's a narrative that costs something of you. That's the great trade-off, isn't it? This is the biggest trade that we will ever make in our lives, and, and by that I mean like you have this broken, you know, twisted, inward bent self in a world that is. Without God, right? Meaningless, purposeless. You're just this cosmic orphan drifting away in in this vast, vacuous universe. And yes, it is a terrifying thing to sign up <laughs> to belong to God's family, to be taught by God himself, to follow after the greatest man who ever lived, Right? But at the same time, when you make that trade, when you give all of that to him and you bear that cross, 
what you also gain is just something that is beyond our imagination. You know, all of a sudden, just like the the children in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe who discover Narnia, all of a sudden this world is going to be expanded. When I speak on God's existence, at the end, I always leave with a note. Hey, listen, if you're a naturalist here, if you are somebody who believes that this physical world is all there is, I hope some of these arguments that I presented tonight gives you some reason to think that this world is actually more enchanted than you might think. Do you know, one of the ways that they talk about this in the podcast that I thought was really interesting, and maybe this is a good place for us to begin wrapping things up, is they talk about something as simple as the existence of a chair. And on the objective, scientific, you know, fact worldview, a chair is just made up of parts, particulars that are following physical laws, and they could be made of plastic, wood, and various other components. And ultimately, that is one way to see the world. You can just see the the parts that things are made of and the physical laws that those things follow. However, again, this is that moment where, where the narrative tup touches the objective that you and I see that there is more to the worldview than that, that this is a chair, that this can that these things come together into holes and these holes serve purposes that bring you into a whole nother level of reality that that there's a world full of chairs and that might sound simple but on an objective objective world there's no such thing as chairs there's no such thing as purpose there's just parts and this is where, for them, they, one of the aspects in this show that they were talking about was consciousness and how we are beings that are able to see both. I'm able to see the parts that something is made of, and I'm able to see the purposeful whole that a thing is made for. And this then begins to change the way I see the universe. I can see a universe full of parts, or I can take that larger narrative perspective, and I can see a world created by God for the a God that loves you for the purpose of being in relationship with him and each other for eternity, and that you will never grow exhausted of the vision that God is providing you. As we wrap up, I'm just really struck by what Jordan Peterson said in that clip, which a lot of people have picked up on, where he says, I probably believe that, and I am amazed at my own belief, and I don't understand it. I am very much reminded at this point of the story in Mark chapter 9, where the man comes to Jesus and says, I believe, please help my unbelief. And I think Jordan Peterson, again, like we said earlier, he, he has this longing in his heart, and he sees that this is fulfilled in Jesus, in the incarnation. And I want to reach out to our listeners. If there's any of you out there who, like Jordan Peterson, have lived in the world of cold, hard scientific facts only to recognize that this kind of a world is incapable of satisfying the longings in your hearts. I, I, I want to remind you of what C.S. Lewis said, that if we find in ourselves this longing that cannot be fulfilled by this world, and I want to suggest that, yes, you are made for more than just this world of cold, hard scientific facts. And I want to point you to Jesus Christ, whom, in whom the narrative world and the objective world come together. So if you've been sitting on the fence about the person of Jesus, can I really encourage you to make that decision today? There's no time like the present. Start following him. 
and watch as he turns your world upside down. And if you actually do make that decision for the first time, reach out to us and let us know. We want to celebrate with you. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the AC Podcast, a ministry of Apologetics Canada. Thank you for joining us, and we'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, love God, love people. Hey listeners, Troy here. I just wanted to let you know that on March 13th, I will be part of an event called Inspire Our Nation Overcome. Overcome is an online experience meant to equip youth and leaders for overcoming. If you want to sign up or gain more information, please go to inspireournation.com. Hope to see you there.